Coffee Break, where Helena comes to talk. Welcome into Coffee Break. I am Troy Shockley. Thanks for joining us this morning. And the show brought to you by Versant Real Estate Group. If you have a property that fits the needs of their buyers, call David at Versant, 459-8565. And we're kicking things off. We're talking with Susan this morning. She is the Associate Chief Nurse for Outpatient Services over at the Montana VA Healthcare System. She's out at Fort Harrison here just outside of Helen. I'm excited to have her on with us to kick off the show today. Susan, how are you doing? I am doing great. Good morning, everybody. I'm Joy. Yeah. Can you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell folks just who you are and what it is that you do out at the VA. Sure. I, my name is Susan Gebner. I um, have been with the VA for about eight years now, living in, Mon- in Helena, Montana. Um, we, uh, I cover 15 CBOCs across the state. I'm the Associate Chief Nurse um, for Primary Care. Um, and again, it's 15 CBOCs throughout the state. And love taking care of my veterans. Yeah. So why the VA? Why is this where you've decided to dedicate your time and your energy? Oh, that, because what better mission? We can take care of our veterans that have served. Uh, I have a uh, great deal of my family. I've been military. And uh, I thoroughly love and enjoy taking care of my veterans. Well, and big news for you and, and for veterans in our area because things are now bigger and better out of Fort Harrison. Doors opening yesterday on a $12 million primary care clinic. That's a big deal. That is so amazing. It is huge and it is beautiful. We are so thankful for our leadership and our vision leadership and our congressional liaisons and everybody that has supported us and making this happen. It is so beautiful. Yeah, and this has been this is the th- third, as I understand it, the, the third facility like this in the state. Is that right? That is correct. Okay. That is correct. So how long in the making has this been? This, I mean, a $12 million project, that, that, that generally means that this has been going on for a while. It has. We've been planning for about five years now, maybe a little longer than that, um, trying to make sure that we get it all um, planned out to uh, meet the requirements that we need for our flow and then anticipate growth and um, how we can um, use it appropriately to make sure that we care for our veterans. Yeah, in a state-of-the-art clinic, it's designed around the patient-aligned care teams model. What is that? Can you explain that to us? Okay, the PAC team model, it's very exciting. The VA is one of um, the only services that use PAC model. The PAC model has the veteran at the very center of care. So the veterans at the center, and then the outer hub is his, his um, primary care teamlet, which consists of a provider, an MSA, uh, LPN, and an RN, and they coordinate the care for that veteran. And then on the outer ring of that one, we have ancillary uh, or support services to include mental health, social work, dietitians, and pharmacy, so that all of those people in that team are focused on the care of that veteran to make sure that we get them what they need. Yeah, so what services are going to be offered at this new clinic? Does it differ from what veterans were able to get before? Um, The difference is we have all of the team members in a central location. Um, So when the veteran comes in, they will be able to come into the exam room, and any one of their um, team members will be able to see them in that exam room, and the the veteran doesn't have to leave the exam room um, to get care in another area. So we'll just be bringing their mental health, their 
uh, RN, their LPN, their, their primary care provider, nutrition, pharmacy, we'll all be able to see them in that one room. And then they can check out in that room, and then they're done. It's not before. Um, because of the way our layout was, we had to sometimes have the veteran go to a different room to meet with nutrition or a different room to meet with social work. We don't have to do that now, and it's so exciting. Yeah, well, and my assumption is that sometimes it was not, hey, now you need to head up to uh, the, the second floor. It's, hey, can you come back next Wednesday and head up to the second floor? I mean, this now you can just do everything all at once. That's correct. And it's just, it, it'd be so much more efficient for the care that we can give the veteran. Uh, and it's so much more, it, it fits our packed model with the veteran being the center. The veteran will be the center in that exam room, and then we'll come to the veteran. So um, it just, it, it's confusing when you try to navigate uh, a facility, any facility that you go to. It's kind of hard to navigate which floor do I go to again, and where is that? They don't have to do that now. We'll come to them. Yeah, it's such a cool thing. We're talking with uh, Susan Gebner. She's out at uh, the VA with, at Fort Harrison. And so in practice, do the veterans have to do anything different? Or are they still just going ahead and they're making their appointments just like they normally did? It's just it, it's easier on the back end for them. It's just that they'll make their appointments just like they did. Um, and then we we will bring them into the new facility and, and see them there. But um, it doesn't change on the front end for them just on the backside. Okay. And and this, it, it just sounds like this is going to be so much better for our veterans in, in so many ways. You have to be excited just of, you know, even for you, it, it's going to be easier for you as well, isn't it? It is. It's going to be so much more efficient for our team. Um, before, when we were trying to walk back and forth, to, and, and that sounds like it's pretty easy to do your job, <laughs> but you lose the time if you're walking back and forth between different rooms uh, and you're not really close to those rooms, which is in some of our situations was the case, you lose a lot of the time that you could actually spend with the veteran, you know, walking back and forth to get supplies in one area and then go back to another exam room. Now we have everything so centrally located, it's, it's literally steps from your workstation and your supplies and that time that we were using to walk and retrieve things and uh, we can actually spend with the veteran. And I know for myself, that time with the veteran is very precious. And I, my teams relay that to me all the time, that they really enjoy their time with the veteran. Yeah, well, and now I guess if something comes up that wasn't necessarily part of that particular appointment, it can be addressed in real time. I mean, if all of a sudden you realize, well, this veteran needs to see a dietitian or you know whatever it is, you're all there now, that can happen real time. Yes, yes, and that is our goal, and that, that's what our PAC model really is, um, that we have the resources there to help them right away, and they're close. They're not in a different part of the facility. They're not on a different floor, like you said before. They're right there within steps, and so that is just amazing. It, it is so, the teams are so excited about it. Um, our first clinic to actually go to this model was in Great Falls, and uh, it was a learning curve. It's different than what we had been, but the staff there have enjoyed it so much, and the veterans have really praised um, the change and the um, new environment uh, that the staff here at Fort Harrison have heard that, and they are so excited to be able to now move into that model, and it, and it works. 
Yeah, well, it's one of those things where it's really nice to be first, and congratulations, Great Falls, you were first. But we get to learn from all of your mistakes and all of the things that, you know what, in pra- you know, on paper this sounded like it would work, but in practice we have to tweak it a little bit. So at this point, you know, being number three, that that's just about the right spot, isn't it? Because now this thing has, has gone through the testing, and we get to just jump on this thing and, and, and go full bore. Oh, it is perfect. Um, they, like you said, they opened doors yesterday and it, it was just like, it was just natural. Um, it just fell into place and we had, um, taken a week before, um, to practice and do some trials to try to anticipate anything that might happen, uh, emergencies or questions or just the actual flow of the clinic if we had a, uh, a very busy day and, um, we had practiced that over the past week, and then yesterday when they started seeing patients, not a hiccup. It just fell right into place. Yeah, it's, it's so proud of yeah, it's so fantastic. I mean, we're going to be part of uh, saving our veterans a lot of follow-ups here in Helena, out at Fort Harrison. Constant trips for them to see different doctors, different specialties. Uh, it, it's getting a lot better, and it, it's got to be uh, just fantastic to be able to be a part of that. And it kind of everybody's got to be smiling at work this week, right? They are. They were actually singing yesterday. They're so happy with. <laughs> if if and so that that. Go ahead, Susan. I didn't mean to cut that, you off. That's all right. That's it's great to see them just excited, and it's it's great to put that fire, um, because they feel like this is the best way they can serve their veterans too, and they're just so excited about it. Yeah, we need to do the best that we can for our veterans. Uh, they, they they did, you know, they, they stepped up and uh, they did what they were asked to do. And now we need to take care of them. And this is one way of doing that better. And uh, if veterans want to find out more about the offerings or maybe if they're not signed up yet, uh, it, they can do that, right? How, how, how do they do that? Um, they can call into our uh, call center. And if they want to enroll, we have an enrollment office and they will get them enrolled right away. Um, I think that we, um, that the call center can direct them either to enrollment or um, if they do qualify and can help them with um, what um, they would qualify for. Okay. And yeah, well, once again, Susan, I, I appreciate your time. I know you're very busy out there, but I sure appreciate your time and willingness to chat with us about this this morning. I'm going to be heading out there to, to the fort actually here just in a little bit because you've got some dignitaries showing up out there. So kind of a big morning for you. It is. A, it is. And, and I look forward to seeing you and showing it off. Any chance that we get to show it off, it, the whole team will be jumping to do that. It is beautiful. Um, they have really, um, they did a very, very, there was no expense or no corners cut. It was very well done and it is beautiful. Um, I think it will make our veterans feel, um, comfortable in coming in, uh, because it is absolutely beautiful. Well, Susan, I sure appreciate the work that you're doing out there and pass along uh, the sentiment and our thanks to everybody working out there with the Montana VA healthcare system at Fort Harrison. Susan Gepner, our guest this morning. Uh, we'll let you get back to work now, I guess. All right. Well, thank you for your time, and um, I appreciate it very much. Susan Gebner with uh, the Montana VA Healthcare System out at Fort Harrison. Some big things happening out there. And we've got another 
an interesting guest. I, we, we tried to connect with them on Monday, and you know what? I think we got it set up. We're going to talk with Melody McCoy coming up on Coffee Break after this. I just wanted to step away from the show for a few seconds to tell you that if you miss an episode, you can always catch up. We're on iTunes, so find our show there or swing by coffeebreak959.podbean.com. Local and area events, city, state, and national officials, your neighbors doing incredible things. We talk to them all on Coffee Break, where Helena comes to talk. In today's always-on world, your business demands a simpler approach to network security. At Blackfoot Communications, we deliver state-of-the-art security solutions from the perimeter to endpoint devices and remote data backup for businesses across Montana. Ensure your company's network is online all the time. For more information, visit goblackfoot.com security. Welcome back in. Coffee Break is brought to you by Versant Real Estate Group. Finding the perfect buyer for your home doesn't have to be daunting. Call David at Versant, 459-8565. And Melody McCoy from the Native American Rights Fund joining us this morning. Uh, thanks for taking time to chat with us today. Thanks for inviting me. Good morning. This is Melody. Uh, can you uh, can you introduce yourself to listeners a little bit? Who Who is Melody McCoy? Well, Melody McCoy is, I am... Uh, a citizen of the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma. I'm also a staff attorney at the Native American Rights Fund, which is headquartered in Boulder, Colorado. I've been with the Native American Rights Fund, or NARF, as it goes by its acronym, since 1986. And uh, 10 years after I started at the Native American Rights Fund, uh, the lawsuit, I think, that we're going to be talking about regarding the Pambina Judgment Fund was transferred to me in 1996. The case had been filed in 1992, but it was transferred to me when the attorney that filed it um, left the firm. Uh, so I inherited it, and I've been working on it ever since. Yeah, and you're joining us on the phone today from beautiful Boulder, Colorado. I, I love Boulder. It's one of my favorite places. It's gorgeous. Yes. Um, we live in, I live in South Boulder and, and of course for the past year I've been working remotely uh, from home, although our office is open, uh, the, uh, uh, the, uh, most of the staff is working remotely still, although we're kind of easing back into mm. some in-office uh, yeah. situations as the year goes on. Yeah, and we're, and we're talking this morning because you're involved with a class action settlement. Um, I guess, can you first explain just what a class action is all about in general? Give, give people sort of the, uh, the Cliff's notes of that. Sure. A class action is where um, individual representatives of the class bring the lawsuit on behalf of other members of the class who are not uh, before the court in the same way. Um, and if the court certifies the class, that then brings the um, other members into the, the, the lawsuit. Um, so it's, it's a representative form. It's usually used, there's, there's tests or criteria that have to be met uh, for a class to be certified. And um, one of the first ones, of course, is numerosity. So the theory is that there's so many people who have uh, identical claims that it would be impracticable to have everybody 
be an individual named plaintiff. Um, there's no magic number. You can have a class with as few as two, and you can have a class, of course, with millions. The general rule in federal courts, which is the court system we're in, is 40, 40. And in our case, we have about 40,000. So we easily met the numerosity and all the other requirements. Uh, everybody's claims are identical in the lawsuit. Mm -hmm. So um, the one thing about this case is that we sought class certification for settlement purposes only. Um, we had already reached a settlement agreement between the parties uh, before we um, filed this stage of the case. So that's a little bit unique, but it's not that unusual right. um, to have so can a you, settlement reached. Can you walk people through just kind of what's happening here specifically with this case? This is a $59 million case. It's a big deal. It is. Um, I've, I've represented uh, in the past, uh, since this case was filed, I've represented probably about I'm losing track, 60, 60 other uh, Indian tribes across the country um, on similar types of claims, most of which have reached, uh, again, like this case, a negotiated settlement with the United States. Um, but as far as the dollar amounts, you're right. This settlement is probably within the top 25 of the 110 settlements that the United States government has reached in the last couple decades with Indian tribes over similar type claims. We call these claims historical tribal breach of trust claims because they're claims by tribes against the United States government for breach of trust, for not being a good trustee in terms of managing the vast amounts, the dollar amounts of trust funds that the United States holds for tribes. So yeah, um, it's, it's, it's a big amount. The one thing about this case is, of course, it's shared. It's not just one tribe. There's four tribes that share in that $59 million. The tribe that has the largest share just by its sheer numbers is the Turtle Mountain Chippewa Band uh, in North Dakota. The Chippewa Cree Tribe of the Rocky Boys Reservation and the Little Shell Tribe of Chippewa Indians of Montana also share, and the White Earth Tribe of Minnesota Chippewa Indians also shares. So there's four tribes that share in that. There's also, as I mentioned, 40,000 individuals, and that's really what makes this case a little bit different than many of the historical tribal mm -hmm. breach of trust claims. Yeah, the reason the that... Go, go ahead, Melody, sorry. The reason that 40,000 individuals share is because they were determined by Congress, the United States Congress, and the United States Department of the Interior back in the um, 1970s and 1980s to be eligible beneficiaries to the awards that were made by the Indian Claims Commission. Yeah, and, and so I guess nutshelling it, the, the settlement we're talking about, it comes from congressional acts that were passed in. Uh, 1964, 1980, there were awards that were held in trust for claimants uh, and since then by the Department of Interior. I mean, that, that's a very long time for the government to be. I mean, they've said, yes, you know, the, the result of the case is the federal government owes you money. They just never figured out the doling out portion of that. And, and the money's just been sitting there 
for four decades. Well, yes and no. I mean, you're right. There were two awards that the, the historic Pambina Band of Chippewa Indians, which doesn't exist, but the Indian Claims Commission determined that those four tribes I mentioned are the modern-day successors to the historic Pembina Band. So the historic Pembina Band, like many tribes, had treaties with the United States, and those treaties provided for the sale of land. Uh, there were two treaties. The first, the 1863 Treaty between the Pembinas and the United States, involved the, the Red River Valley lands, the lands that are today the North Dakota-Minnesota border. Um, and in 1964, the Indian Claims Commission determined that, like a lot of tribes, the Pembinas had been underpaid for those lands. So they were awarded, the Pembina portion was just under $300,000. But the Pembinas had another treaty or agreement, since by law the United States stopped making treaties officially with tribes in 1871, but afterwards, it continued to acquire land from tribes. It just did so via something called an agreement uh, rather than a treaty because at that time, the United States was not inclined to recognize the sovereign status of tribes like it had before. So instead of inter-sovereign treaties, we get agreements, which are very similar. So there was an agreement uh, that began in the 1890s with the Pembina Band, and that was for the bulk of their lands that are today the North Dakota-Canadian border. And for that, it was, it was about 8 million acres. It was a much larger tract of land. And in 1980, the Indian Claims Commission determined that the Pembinas had been underpaid for those lands to the tune of $53 million, which is a large award. It's the second or third largest award ever made by the Indian Claims Commission. And every tribe had a petition in the Indian Claims Commission for additional compensation for the lands they sold because it was the whole point of the Indian Claims Commission was to compensate tribes for those treaty deals on which the tribes had been cheated, underpaid. So the $53 million was awarded in 1980. But you're right, it took a long time. And, and, and when those Indian Claims Commission awards came out, they, the money did not go to the Indians directly. The United States, on its own, determined that it would hold those funds in trust for the beneficiaries, the tribes and the individuals, unless and until it distributed them to the individuals and the tribes. So for the Pembina's 1964 award, the Red River lands, it took 20 years before the United States began to distribute those to about 21,000 individuals. For the 80 award, it was at least a decade before the United States began to distribute the 53 million to the four tribes and 33,000 individuals in that case. There was different criteria, so more people were sure. determined by the Interior Department to share. So it was at that time when the distributions of the big award began in 1988 that the leaders, primarily of the Turtle Mountain Tribe in North Dakota, were very concerned. They were like, okay, we're getting our distribution, but how do we know 
that the distribution that's being made is, is what we're entitled to. You've held our money for 10 years, $53 million. How much, how much have you earned on it? How much should you have earned on it? And they couldn't get answers to those questions from the Interior Department. So they retained the Native American Rights Fund, NARF, to file a lawsuit in 1992, seeking an accounting and bringing claims for mismanagement which is another term for underinvestment of right. the and judgment. Well, and so now there's a hearing coming up, uh, and we've got we're, we're talking with Melody McCoy from the Native American Rights Fund this morning. We've got about 90 seconds left. The time goes so fast, Melody. Uh, there's a hearing now in June, right? Yeah, that's right. June 10th is the hearing for the federal district court, at which time the federal district court will determine whether to give final approval to the class action settlement in this case. If the court gives final approval, that will trigger trigger the distribution of the settlement proceeds, okay. the $59 million. And you've been involved in a lot of these land claim cases now. I mean, in, in our last uh, 60 seconds here, what are the chances you think that we actually get this thing finalized? I think we'll get final approval. Um, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's always hard to say, but I'm, I'm pretty sure we'll get final approval. The distribution itself then will probably take about 18 to 24 months, mostly because, unfortunately, due to the passage of time, about one-third of those 40,000 individuals have deceased. And the courts have ruled that... I think we lost Melody there. We almost made it. <laughs> And all of a sudden, uh, we lost Melody uh, Melody McCoy from the Native American Rights Fund with us this morning. Uh, Melody, if you're you're tuned in, apologies for uh, the phone line cutting out there. I don't know if it was our end or the phone lines in Boulder, Colorado, but yeah, June 10th is when that uh, the the hearing is, and if that's finalized, then that money starts to be uh, awarded. And like she said, many of those people are now deceased, so uh, the court has determined. Uh, other people that that will go to. So, Melody, thank you so much for joining us. That's all the time we have. We'll see you back here tomorrow. I'm Troy Shockley, and that's it for Coffee Break today. Be sure to check us out on iTunes. Head on over. Give us a review there. That's always much appreciated. Or swing by coffeebreak959.podbean.com. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you back here tomorrow.